This is Parrot Talk. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. RestoringTheFaith.com It is a very important day uh, today. It's the day before Thanksgiving. And today is a day traditionally, I think, in broadcast radio where we would find something to be thankful for. I had told you yesterday that um, I probably wasn't going to do that. Well, I was wrong. A lot happened yesterday, and some of it is worth thanking, uh, uh, being thankful for. Good morning. Mike Parrott here, host of Parrot Talk, here on the Crusade Channel, live talk radio the way it should be. Always on air, always online, and uh, always happy to be with you. I am joined this morning uh, with a very special guest. Now, I made really bad Thanksgiving plans. I am on a road trip right now. I'm driving. But my guest, thanks be to God, is in front of a a microphone, and he's going to do a lot of the talking today. Father Martin Navarro, welcome to Paratalk. Is this the first time you've been on Paratalk? No, you haven't. You've been on. No, I've been on a couple times. Yes, yes. Um, Good to have you, Father. Um, We're going to need your blessing on this one. Father, (laughs) I might be taking a little bit of heat for this, but I am extremely grateful for something and I want to do a whole show about gratitude and my gratitude for uh, the courage of the Church Militant Board of Directors who yesterday forced Michael Boris into resignation. Um, So he's out. Now a lot happened in the hours subsequent to the announcement. Um, First of all, I, I got to be the one to break the news in the world it was kind of cool. I like breaking news every now and then. And um, the disbelief and shock and gnashing of teeth is pretty palpable. Mm-hmm. The reactions on social media is pretty immediate. Right. Uh, but but then we were faced with short successive order. First, there was this um, release. From church militant they actually confirmed my reporting uh much to the dismay and disbelief of the rest of the grifters out there secondly there was a video dropped by michael boris where he cries crocodile tears for 14 minutes and then thirdly uh nazi niles jumps in with an eight minute but it's not really clear at least at least i think to this audience what church militant did to you so can you give us some background information about um, you know, how they have affected your life, your vocation, your, uh, uh, your order, the Oblates of St. Augustine, um, your monastery, your fundraiser, all, all of it? Absolutely. Well, it started whenever they started attacking you, Mike, because one of the things that they wanted to attack you for whenever you uh, started your fundraiser for Father James Jackson was to insinuate to the public that you were a profiteer, that you use these kinds of uh, emotional grabs at people to start fundraisers so that you can take profit from it. So you can keep some of the money for yourself and, and, and uh, just kind of, kind of take advantage of other people's emotions um, on, these, on these sorts of issues. And so they, they accused you of being a profiteer. Now, they had no evidence of such a thing because it's false. It's blatantly false but they wanted to destroy your fundraiser, Father James Jackson. 
And so I guess Christine Niles started looking up other fundraisers that maybe you had been involved in. And they found the fact that about a year or so before you had helped me and the Oblates of St. Augustine with the video to fundraise money to uh, try to find a new monastery to live in, a new housing situation so that we can move out of the, of the old Roman seminary down in Florida. And so you were, you helped us out with the fundraiser for that. And so because they found that this was basically the only fundraiser you ever ha had been involved in, this was their only shot to, to try to prove in some way that you were a profiteer. Because again, they accuse you of something without ever having evidence of, of it because that evidence doesn't exist. And so that, that's what brought me into, into the situation. That's what brought the to St. Augustine and Father John and everybody else was the fact that now they started accusing me, uh, then Brother Martin Navarro, and uh, the Oblates of St. Augustine of creating a sort of fundraiser so that you can profit from it. And so they started accusing me of being a fraud because my fundraiser was really just to give you money underneath the table. And back then when they had accused us of that, I simply took a screenshot of our bank account that had every single penny from our fundraiser in it, posted it on Twitter and said, no, here's the, here's $170,000. Uh, I've not given Mike a single penny. And so then Christine Niles switches the argument and says, oh, okay, well, you haven't given him a penny yet, but you didn't say you won't be giving him a penny in the future. In which case we're all shaking our heads like, oh my gosh, these people are crazy. You know, the grasp that straws. But nevertheless, in order to continue to discredit you and discredit me, they started making an argument that uh, what we were doing um, was completely Ill illegitimate. Um, in the sense of starting a de facto association according to canon law and all sorts of things. But it was a, a, an extreme level of, of hypocrisy because even on Twitter, um, Church Militant has always called themselves a de facto association, a private association of the, of the faithful, and quoting the same exact canons that I was using to justify our legal existence, our canonical existence. Furthermore, they were even defending Brother uh, Andre Marie's group, the Slaves of the Immaculate Heart up in uh, New Hampshire, for doing the exact same thing that we were doing. They were, they were defending them because they were a de facto association, e even to the point of being in court, but then going around uh, telling people that we were illegitimate for being the exact same thing. So, you know, two years ago, Brother Andre Marie and I were the exact same thing according to canon law, but Church Militant was going to court defending Brother Andre Marie and telling people that I was a fraud online. Did they, did, did Church Militant ever refer to Brother Andre Marie, who is, by, by the way, a venerable friend of the Crusade Channel and does Wisdom Wednesdays with, uh, with the King Dude himself. I mean, he's a great guy, very knowledgeable. I have a lot of respect for him. Did Church Militant ever refer to Brother Andre Marie as a fake monk? Absolutely not. Never, not once. And we were the exact same thing under canon law. Exact same thing. And you made this abundantly clear to Church Militant, especially to Christine Niles, uh, as uh, as she continued to call you a fake monk and refer to you as Martin and uh, and say that you were uh, somehow in trouble. Now, do you have an inkling that they intervened in your relationship with the local ordinary? Absolutely. Actually, this is uh, Christine Niles' own testimony. So I was talking with our local ordinary about getting canonical recognition about uh, being able to get some status in, in the diocese of Kansas city, Missouri, St. Joseph. We had been emailing back and forth. He had asked me to send in a formal letter explaining our background and everything else. All our conversations were very cordial. 
I sent in that letter, but after I sent in that letter, Christine Niles and Church Militant published a hit piece on me, calling me a financial fraud and all this kind of stuff. And in the letter I received back from my ordinary, it referred to questionable financial dealings that he had heard about. And the only people that were making up these lies were Church Militant, the only people. But do even on think, Twitter... Do you think ahead. it's possible that... I, I, what do you think the likelihood is that uh, James Johnston... And the Bishop of Kansas City, he has no idea that the people underneath him during the Kodu uh, Jewish rabbi services, you know, since they couldn't go to mass. So he claimed ignorance on that, had no idea that that was happening. But do you think that he was actually perusing the church militant website so closely, or, or at least following their Twitter account so closely that he was like, oh, I, I know who that guy is. I mean, or, I mean, like, what are the odds of him, him discovering it versus... Christine just sending it to him and making making him read it. It's possible that she she sent her article to the chancery. It's also possible that there's a there's a particular priest from my old community that is very determined that I would never become a priest because he's homosexual himself. Um, that might have sent it to his best buddy, which is a vicar general over in the, in my di- uh, diocese right now, um, to him and. Bishop Johnson could have very much allowed the the vicar general to write the letter and, you know, Bishop Johnson to sign it. So there's different avenues right. in which the same information could have gotten to Johnson or gotten to the, to the chancery office. But nevertheless, it's the accusation of, of uh, financial mis, uh, misdealings um, that was right. fabricated right. by church militant. Um, well, that well, ultimately being, was being, one of the reasons. Being bad with money is almost like, shouldn't that mean that you, they make you a bishop automatically? I mean, that's kind of like prerequisite to being a bishop okay so what it when this all this all was happening while you were just forming the community you had a priest father john that you were taking care of he was in declining health but he was high functioning and he was uh you know he was supervising things you had young men with you um there was a whole community you guys it was it was a beautiful thing what kind of pressure and stress did this put both father john under and as and you know the young men who are thinking to themselves like okay what's going on with this community that I am am seeking to join, right? So for the young men, for sure, um, young men and when when they enter religious life, they don't enter with one hundred percent conviction that this is their vocation. They they come to try. They come to give it a shot. So they come. I don't want to say doubt, but, you know, not completely 100% sure. You know, they're, they're giving it their best shot. They're, they want to do God's will for their life. And, you know, uh, God bless them for, for taking the time to actually discern God's will for their life. But when an attack like this com- comes on a community and things are being published with names, uh, when Christine Niles is, is direct messaging people like Father John and asking for the names of the other young men in the community, um, it does put a lot of stress on them because, say, their names, their full names, their real names get ad- added to these articles that are online accusing us of financial fraud, and they happen to discern out. Well, they go to apply for a job, and their employers Google their names, and their names are attached to this uh, hit piece, financial fraud, you know, fraudulent, fake monks, whatever else, um, you know, c- committing wire fraud or whatever else. And now they're, they're scarred for life. Their employers may not hire them because they, they have this in their background, so to speak. And so there is a, a major risk in young people entering a community or staying in a community that's being attacked in this, in this malicious way um, because it could very much impact their future, even if they were to leave the community.
because because they're not just going to call up Trish Milton. Hey, will you just remove my name from the article because I had nothing to do with it? No, they're going to keep it there. As far as Father John yeah. goes, well, go ahead. Let's let's just let's just go back to that. So that caused people to leave, and furthermore, it caused people to to kind of think second a uh, second thought about uh, well, maybe I don't have a calling to the Augustinian charism because if I join the only traditional Augustinian order there is in the United States or maybe around the world, I'm not sure, uh, then there's a good chance that Michael Boris, Christine Niles are going to go after me. So maybe exactly. I'll think about the Benedictines or something else. Right. So we had, we had several guys, you know, uh, on deck, so to speak for doing, um, vocational visits, uh, for the community and whatnot, no, knowing full well, we were a de facto association, knowing full well that we were still looking for a bishop, knowing for well that, you know, full well that we were starting, starting things out. And I would explain this to all the, all these guys saying, um, well, basically our canonical situation and saying, you know, it's precarious in the sense that, uh, this bishop here might not accept us, but you know, we'll, we'll keep trying kind of thing. And, uh, everybody was, was courageous. They were, they were willing, they were adventurous. They were, they were willing to, to give it a shot. And of course, after the, all the hit pieces came out, they, they all dropped like flies. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I don't blame them really, but, um, and, and I, I doubt you do either. I mean, when it, to your point, you're not making a forever decision when you come to visit. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So, um, talking with father Martin Navarro, you're the prior of the Oblates of St. Augustine. Uh, it's an Augustinian traditional community located in West Missouri. Um, you're, you were the caretaker to your mentor. His name was Father John Melnick. Father John Melnick had a very colorful career. Um, he was one of the last of the Mohicans. He had a licentiate from Rome to say the Latin Mass since 1988. He was stridently Catholic, loved the institution, but simultaneously loved the tradition and reconciled those two things. Um, you were the closest to him. You were at his deathbed you held his hand. You took care of him uh, for years as his health declined. One of the things that you did is you concealed the fact that he was with you. Why did you have to conceal the fact that you were his number one caretaker uh, every single day, getting him everything he needed, helping him to the restroom, I mean, helping him shower, helping him do everything. And basically like live in home health provider and yet you never told a soul and you never leaked out that he was there why did you do that if his home diocese the diocese of scranton had found out that he had retired and was starting a new religious community and was causing some sort of trouble that could make their diocese look bad they would simply call him home they would say come and be in a retirement community that we have here set up for priests um, no longer affiliate your, yourself with, uh, the Oblates of St. Augustine and other, you know, starting a religious community, all the kind of stuff, just come back here in this retirement home. Well, you'll basically die alone. And so in order for him to fulfill his dream of, uh, ensuring the, the continuance of traditional Augustinian religious life, which is what he dedicated basically his life to, um, he would have had, had to go home. They would have called him back to Scranton and he would have had, had to go. And it's not uh, necessarily secret that Christine Niles did contact Scranton and Scranton basically just said, well, he's doing his own thing because he's retired. He's, he's allowed to live wherever he'd like. Um, but nevertheless, in, in so doing, if 
him being affiliated with me and Christine Niles and Church Militant saying that I was um, committing financial fraud and whatnot, his diocese would have simply called him up and, and told him to come home to, to stop affiliating, affiliating themselves with that because then Christine Niles would have continued to go after Scranton because she loves going after Scranton because of, of Bishop Bambera and all the other um, you know sinful things that are, have purported uh, to be going on uh, in that diocese. So um, it would have been a, an even bigger hit, particularly even for the Diocese of Scranton. Now, I, it seems it seemed like one of his larger fears, too, was not just being called home, but the possibility of actually dying. And here's what I mean by that. The Diocese of Scranton was providing a generous health care package that was literally keeping him alive. Without those uh, health care benefits, if they would have pulled those benefits, he would have been a dead man. I mean, he was on breathing machines uh, for well over a year towards the end constantly, sometimes multiple breathing machines, several trips to the ER um, for lack of uh, oxygenation in the body. Um, And he really believed that if Scranton decided to pull his health care and his benefits because they concluded that he had done some misconduct because Nazi Niles convinced them of that or blackmailed them uh, into that, that he'd be dead. Do you think Absolutely. that his fear was was unfounded or or founded? De- definitely founded, and you know he was he was considering also even getting a, a lung transplant, and and that surgery itself was over a million dollars, and so if Nazi Niles pressured Scranton to act against Father John, Father John would have had to choose between um, supporting my vocations to the priesthood or or his his health insurance, and. This goes to, to testify how much Father John believed that I had a vocation to the priesthood. It wasn't just him saying that, you know, if Brother Martin, if you don't have a vocation, neither do I, which he said to me multiple times. It, it was the very fact that he was even um, willing to stand with me through through all the pressure from church militant uh, to ensure I made it to the to the uh, to be ordained a priest, um, even at the risk of of losing his his health insurance. Now he was on breathing breathing machines. He was on actually multiple. We had to actually use uh, more than one breathing machine towards the end because he needed. Uh, close to 20, 20 liters of oxygen um, because he had, he was dying of idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. And so he was very much afraid of, of uh, church militants' attacks, um, the possibility that they would uh, cr- cause Scranton to take away his health insurance from him. In terms of uh, other fear, fears that Father John had, I mean, Father John was also affiliated with the uh, the old Roman Catholic See of Glow in, in the sense that uh, he had been friends with them since his uh, days with the Fraternity of St. Peter, um, when he got to know them in the uh, in the actually early, early to mid '90s, and uh, knowing that the church was going the way it was, um, he knew that this was probably going to be my only uh, legitimate route to to getting to getting ordained in a place that um, was with a group of people that he knew that w- would take care of me once he once he died. So Father John also he not, he not only treated me like a seminarian, like he was he was he didn't have a very institutional mind regarding regarding me. Um, he actually saw me more as a son, and so in giving me over to an institution or a diocese or whatever, he, he also felt very uncomfortable of giving me to a diocese or giving me to the SSPX or whatnot, because although these are legitimate institutions, um, they're institutions and institutions can sometimes hang people out to dry. And so um, he knew he, he wanted to, to, to give me to people he knew would take care of me once he was gone. And so in, in so doing with, with the old Roman Catholic Sea of Care Glow, uh, he knew also that w- that would be a, a point of attack that church militant would would level against him and the diocese of Scranton would would uh, consider 
um, in coming up with a reason to take away his health insurance. Right. So for him, um, being shielded from the wrath of Christine Niles and Michael Boris was a matter of life and death. Now, I, I know you, you maybe would temper your language a little bit and you, you would see it a little bit differently because, uh, because probably COVID policy played a big role in hospitals and, and insurance and all kinds of stuff. Uh, but ultimately, in him passing earlier this year, I primarily blame church militant. I blame the stress of it. When they started attacking you, that's when he started dying. Uh, that's my observation as an outsider. You knew him better. You probably see it differently. But I'm talking with Father Martin Navarro of the Oblates of St. Augustine about the fallout from Michael Boris being fired. Um, now, Boris puts out this video, Father. Now that everybody has kind of the background on who you are, what your relationship is to them, and why you are more overly qualified to talk about what people's right reactions ought to be um, to the menace that they have been for so many people. He puts this video out and it's 14 minutes of him pretending to be on the verge of tears while admitting to some heinous uh, violation of the morality clause without ever telling us what it is. The lies and falsehoods are neither trapped nor exposed in his 14 minute crybaby video. But what's amazing to me is that he not only portrays himself as the victim, uh, he's the victim of his own making, he's the victim of sin, he's the victim of temptation, he's also the victim of a board of directors, and he's just a victim of, of life in general. And what he needs to do now is he needs to have proper care, is what he says in the video. He needs, I need to have, I'm going to take some time and I'm going to take more focus on my health. He says he's been running from these demons for a long time. Uh, he says that uh, he's, he's refused to face them and that the uh, lifestyle that he lived in, quote unquote, in his 30s, but then later on he adjusted that to, me, to say many, many, many years, his years-long lifestyle in, uh, in perversion, um, he says, is only a symptom of a much darker, darker, deeper thing that he needs to get to. I want to talk about people's reactions. Um, I, I posted a video yesterday when I announced his ouster. And I actually cited you and one of your sermons from several weeks ago when you talk about forgiveness and you defined it around, um, you know, the idea of releasing uh, resentment, letting go of it, letting go of the resentment. And um, I think that there is a huge difference, and I'm hoping to get your thoughts on this. People are very quick to forgive Michael Voris and minimize the damage that he has done to people. In my mind, he's killed Father John. In my mind, he's killed your community, or at least mortally wounded it, or, or severely wounded it. In my mind, he almost killed my family. He tried to. Tried to kill my marriage. He tried to separate my wife and I. He tried to get my children removed. This man is a murderer. And he made a 14-minute sob story video, and people are actually siding with him, and they're going to call me a meanie poo-poo head for even questioning 
any of this. How do you see it? I think people have a very um, deformed idea of what forgiveness is. And they think of God's mercy and how God applies his mercy to us, basically saying, you know, I can just go to confession and get God's mercy and there I'm done. If, if, if they really do believe that the God's mercy works that way and is that simplistic, then all it, it's very clear that they're abusing the confessional in the sense that they take God's mercy for granted. Um, the reality is after each conf- confession, we have a penance because we have to make satisfaction for our crime. We have to do something to restore the relationship. That comes at, at the end of every confession. You have to do something to restore the relationship, to make satisfaction, atonement for your sins. Obviously, this is done uh, through our Lord's sacrifice on the cross because we're, we're part of his mystical body. Nevertheless, there is that part where we restore something. We restore what was broken. We fix what was broken. It isn't just me confessing and then God, God saying, okay, that's, that's, that's okay. I forgive you. No, there's more. There's more to that part after we leave the confessional, go back into the pews and, and make satisfaction for our sins. So okay, so so with with the sins of impurity that he very obviously has been committing for a long time, and we're, we're going to get into the veracity of some of some of the people's claims, like Niles' claims of not to know about these things and whatever. But um, obviously, he can't undo the the physical violence he's done to young men's uh, rear ends, right? Or that he right. was doing even as recently as like a week ago. Um, so how do you make restitution in that ca- in that case? But then more, more importantly, and, and of course, that's that's primarily an offense against God as well, you know, so, you, you know, the, uh, as you said in confession. But but he's destroyed Father John's life, your life, my life, Jeff Kasman's life, uh, others around the country. He makes, he makes a living, made a very good living, owns a lot of property, has a lot of assets, different multiple uh, income streams. He's not hurting for cash. I'm sure he got... A, a payout uh, as part of his severance. So financially, this man has grifted off of destroying guys like us. What uh, what would restitution look like? <laughs> well, if there's any financial restitution that needs to be paid, obviously that that comes first first and foremost. If if uh, I mean, he released a, a tweet the other day of um, encouraging Elon Musk to sue people just so that the uh, the actual lawsuit itself is the punishment rather than actually uh, because he has a claim in court, but just so that people will suffer the lawsuit. Now, I think obviously that's what he exactly what he did to you is he sued you. It didn't matter if he was, if it was going to go all the way to court. It didn't matter if he was going to win or lose. It was the fact that the lawsuit itself would teach you the lesson. Um, and so the lesson would, would have to have been learned by you spending your entire savings account and, and your, your family being financially hurt and destroyed um, just because of, of what you had to, to pay for the lawsuit. Now, in terms of restitution, it would be just for him to pay back every single penny that you had to spend on a, on a lawsuit that he intended simply to inflict pain on you. Um, that's not too much to ask. If he can do it, he ought to do it in justice. Um, and anybody, he, any priest he goes to confession to um, really, really should say that. If Voris, if you have the financial means, if you have to sell one of your 10 houses or whatever else, you ought to do that to to uh, pay back the the fun. Um, to help those who, who you, you really put in financial struggles because, I mean, th- this is what you did sim- simply to hurt them. In terms of, uh, you know, the young men that he's physically wounded and whatnot, it's, I mean, obviously you can't fix the physical wound, but nevertheless, the emotional wound or whatnot, I mean, he has to be honest with them and and and, and not be involved in their lives anymore and say, you know, I'm done with this um, and, and here's why. 
and then and then yeah keep his word well there's no doubt that he is a predator i mean he, he had he had predatorial relationships with young men here he is he's 62 years old and he's hanging out with 19 year olds and 22 year olds he loved to hire young men he young he loved to be surrounded by young men have an entourage of them and as i've previously reported he sent he he had been sending them lewd pictures of himself gym pictures where he or where certain parts of his body are clearly visible through the the fake clothing that he's wearing or the, the lack thereof um I am aware of him sending those types of pictures of himself to other people in Hollywood at, at strange times of night. It's obvious that this man has been a sexual predator for, uh, against young men for uh, the, quite some time. And this leads me to sort of the second part of this show. This is Paratog here on the Crusade Channel, live talk radio the way it should be. And uh, we're we're back with uh, Father James, uh, Father James Martin, uh, <laughs> wow, Father Martin Navarro. Uh, I, I I've been driving on the I thirty five corridor for a long time, Father. I have seen strip mall <laughs> after strip mall after strip mall. My mind has been numbed by the ugliness of the United States. So forgive me, uh, forgive me for for that uh, that slip there. We're talking about the fallout from the firing of Michael Voris. Now, the board of directors via sort of the church militant website, the church militant social media accounts, put out a statement that said that Voris is being, was, was, being, was being asked to resign and his resignation has been accepted because he broke uh, some moral code uh, or clause in his contract. And for that reason, they're separating him, but they're going to respect his privacy. Now, Morris never respected anybody's privacy ever. Church militant never respected anybody's privacy, but they always demanded that you respect their people's privacy. They were always above reproach. Um, I want to get into the veracity of that claim because it's obvious to so many people that he was breaking the moral clause uh, for a very, very long time. And that multiple people knew about it. And there were, there were defectors from the organization who made the claims. The whispers were always there. So I, I look at it and say, yeah, it's a, it's a good reason to terminate him for cause and to separate him from the organization which he claims to have founded, which but was actually founded by a guy named Mark Bramer. Um, it's, it's an interesting way for them to do to make a clean break, no questions asked, and still try to salvage the organization and ask for money. But here's where I think that their argument breaks down. You and I have seen this, others have seen this. They have no audience. Their numbers right. are through the toilet. Their, their, their subscriptions are through the toilet. Nobody's visiting the website. They're not getting any hits. And they started losing key donors when they were attacking you and me and every other traditionalist. They've attacked Taylor Marshall. They've attacked the King dude. They've attacked everybody in tradition. Um, they even they even turned on Bishop Schneider. Now, I don't care. You might disagree with Bishop Schneider in terms of his take on the crisis, but you don't turn on Bishop Schneider 
the way that they did. You you don't you you can't attack the man's sanctity, his holiness. He's one of the holiest people that I've ever met in my life. Um so they they were they were troubled. They were failing. Just a few months ago, they laid off 30% of their workforce. This is not a healthy organization. Healthy organizations don't do that. So my contention here is that I, you know, I think it's pretty obvious that their financials collapsed. And that's going to come out in the 990s and the quarterly financials. And we're, we're going to be able to see that. They ran out of cash. I already, I've been reporting on the fact that they are bleeding cash for well over a year. Uh, other pundits in Catholic media, we all talk kind of behind the scenes. Other big time pundits with letters after their names and whatnot have speculated privately that, yeah, they're out of cash. They're they're borderline bankrupt. I was hoping they would run out of cash during their lawsuit with me. And maybe it was their lawsuit with me amongst other poor, poor business decisions that they've made where they just frivolously wasted millions of dollars of other people's money thinking that they were just going to go out and re-raise it. Well, they didn't raise it. And I happen to know that, and by the way, there is a question coming. Don't worry, don't worry, father. <laughs> I happen to know that, uh, that they hired, uh, J- Jim Graham, who is a disgraced, uh, a former bundler in the state of Texas. And he's disgraced because he is a famous, infamous public adulterer. He and Carrie Beckman, Beckman founded Regina Chaley Academy. He and Beckman were on the board of directors of Veritatis Splendor, which Bishop Strickland very smart, smartly, acutely uh, separated himself from. Uh, those two were those two were breaking up each each other's marriages, and Jim Graham was then was then hired to fundraise for Church Militant. Now. This would be a perfect Catholic story for the sex cops at Church Billetson to cover, but they never covered it. They never once smeared either Beckman or Graham. Why? Because Graham was loyal to Boris. Graham was friends with Boris. In fact, Graham was trying to get Boris to move to Texas. And Boris was pretty close to doing that too. He even set up entities in Texas. Those entities are Google searchable. So, so the lies and falsehoods if you're inside the vortex, are preserved. It's only the exposing the lies and falsehoods of the people that are disloyal to you that happens. Now, all that being said, Jim Graham, sleazy, slimy, discredited, couldn't raise money for him, and now they fired Boris, all right? That's the financial history of this place. Couldn't you construct an argument that says, you know what, actually this place was running out of money, it still is running out of money, but the worst thing that you can do when you're running out of money and you need to ask for money is say, hey, we mismanaged the money. Give us more money. Nobody gives money to an organization that admits to mismanaging the money. But they did. Exactly. They mismanaged the money by suing Baltimore, suing me, suing Delaire, suing everybody. Um, and that stuff just costs a lot of money. So I, I, my, my contention here is that there is a heck of a lot more going on in this story We'll get to the Niles thing in a minute, but I want I want you to react to the idea that the pretext for getting rid of him is is the sodomy. But he had been doing that for years, and everyone knew it. They they only they only use it now as a clean break because they really don't want to admit the truth, which is the mismanagement and the fraud on the money side. 
Right. And I think this also came out in your lawsuit, too, is that you had eyewitness accounts of Michael Voris answering the front door in nothing but a bath towel. Um, while, yeah, while yeah, there's that's just another, not normal behavior. While there's another man living in his house with him, a priest. Yeah, so and that other man no, is a priest. Right, yeah. If you're, if no, you're cohabitating with a man and you're walking around your house naked, I mean, you, that's not normal behavior. Right. And so there, there, there's evidence of the fact that he never never changed other habits besides maybe just that one of just not sodomizing other people. Now, if one is actually working to um, repent and restore their life, um, you know, to step away from a perverted lifestyle and perverted tendencies, all that kind of stuff, eventually other habits continue to change as well. But the fact that it's been demonstrated with evidence that basically no other habits have changed besides him publicly saying, oh, I've repented of that lifestyle is evidence that the, the the repentance wasn't very profound. It was it was very superficial, if anything at all. Um, and it's also very, I mean, we know that pe- people will just say, "Oh, I have repented." You have to you have to believe, take me for my word. You have to take me for my word that I've repented. Um, and so we say, "Okay, right." I mean, I I really am not following you around, but nevertheless, you are still ex- exhibiting other behaviors that are attributed right. to that sort of lifestyle. And anytime anybody brought it up on social media, online, anywhere, in some comment box, they were immediately attacked. Immediately attacked. Now, Boris could dig through your underwear drawer, and he may find out that 75 years ago, you said a naughty word that you shouldn't have said, and he would lord that over you because lies and falsehoods are trapped and exposed. But if you did the same to him, if you said, hey, well, wait a minute, you're exhibiting homo-narcissistic t- tendencies even still. I don't think you're cured of your disease. Um, you were called a bad Catholic because you didn't believe in the sacrament of penance. You didn't believe in the forgiveness of God. And you were the one called to the carpet and attacked. That was their MO, to attack you if you ever brought up any of the failings of Michael Boris, even if you could notice those trends. Father, true or false? The worst thing that you can do to someone who is a homo-narcissist is hand them a microphone and a camera. True. True, the worst thing, because the narcissism, they, they, they need the, and crave the attention. They need and crave the attention. If someone is truly repentant of their homosexual lifestyle, they will go and disappear from the public eye, and they will actually work out their salvation in private. But a lot of these supposed repentant homosexuals Instead, they want to document everything and publish it on, on the internet and get lots of followers and all that kind of stuff. It's it's right. no, it's just a, a different way to feed their addiction. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, one one example of a manifest public homo narcissist who has largely disappeared from the public eye, and every time there is a an appearance with him, he's holding a, you know, a Catholic book in his hand is Milo Yiannopoulos. I mean, I'm not saying that he's doing it right, and I hope that he—I hope that he is. I suspect that he probably is. But to hand a guy like him a microphone right after he, five minutes after he became Catholic, that's what Gary Boris did. That's predatory behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, one final not thought, just on that particular sin, it leaves a lasting scar. Right. It—it's it, the kind of thing where you may receive absolution for the punishment of the sin, but the damage that that sin has done to your soul is there. 
and that, that that scar has to be worked out and it takes time penance it takes quiet it takes a, it takes a lot of work actually um there's no evidence that boris ever did that work so if if he's referring to going off and doing that work then fine but i'm skeptical of that even because towards the end of his crocodile tears he says i hope to be back in front of cameras again soon i mean he said it so i he, right now, he has no plans of disappearing from the public eye. He only has plans of reinventing himself once again. Right. And and it could just simply just to uh, be just a matter of time, you know, go through a, a, a three or six month program to get a little piece of paper saying he went through the program so that he then regains his credibility in the public eye and then just tries to get uh, even insinuates that he could possibly even come back to church militant. You know, so he's even saying like, you know, okay, I resigned from CEO, but I might not be done with Church Militant either. So it's it's one of those things where he's just going to go, uh, Jeez. step away for a little while, and then come back, and supposedly everyone's supposed to believe that uh, he's one hundred percent repented and he's not active anymore. And isn't this precisely the program that he criticizes the bishops for doing? Isn't this yeah. exactly what the bishops do? They'll take they'll take a pervert priest. They'll punch him through a, a six-month boot camp, and then they'll say he's reformed and everything's fine. Exactly. Exactly right. All right, let's get to Niles uh, talking with Father Martin Navarro, um, the founder and prior of the Oblates of St. Augustine. Uh, Father Martin has a personal investment in this story. Now, Niles, I was the, I was the first and only person to notice that she was gone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Nobody believed me that she was gone. She's been gone. I knew the date that she was gone. Um, and finally, she put out a video today admitting, hey, many of you don't know this, but I've been gone for a while from Church Militant. In fact, I resigned on the 9th of November, and my last day was November 10th. Um, she put out a, a, a little piece where she tries to put daylight between herself and Boris. She tries to say that the thing that attracted her to the apostolate, the holy apostolate, they both call it the, the holy apostolate or just the apostolate. I mean, it speak, it's, it's spoken about in hushed tones of reverence, the apostolate. <laughs> um, what attracted her to the apostolate, she claims, is the fervor for souls, the teaching of the authentic faith. Okay. We all know that that's objectively false. She left her husband because she wanted to go marry Michael Boris. Everybody knows that. She, she she'll even admit it if she if you give her some vodka some of that bottles of vodka that she keeps by her bedside that she tweets about or some, uh, or some box wine yeah give her some give her a box of wine and she'll admit she fell in love with boris didn't know he was gay until 14 uh when the board of directors forced him to resign but then he unresigned by the way in that case the board of directors <laughs> they let him think about it overnight this this time they were smart they axed him and within an hour released a statement. They sealed his fate. They wouldn't let him unresign the next day. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't let him call in, you know, a favor with Terry Carroll and try to turn members of the board against each other and cause chaos and claw his way back in. Okay, so Niles is saying that she was that that the, the apostolate has lost its way. And that's why she had to separate herself from it. Uh, I'm sorry. She waited until November. Ninth, she waited until two weeks before the implosion and the firing of Michael Morris. Do you think that that makes sense? Does that hold any water? 
Absolutely, absolutely not. No, she. Uh, well, she she began the whole implosion of church militant with Michael Voris, uh, no longer praying. She said that he was always showing up to you know morning prayer, evening prayer, all the prayer that you know was obliged uh, to all the workers. And then two years ago, Vora stopped praying. Well, two, two years ago, November is exactly when they started attacking you and suing you. Um, that's right. And so, and so if that's if that's the moment when Church Militant lost its way, that's the moment she was going to Voris and saying, hey, look at this tweet that RTF Mike made. Um, you need to sue him for this. Hey, look at this tweet. Hey, look at that tweet, Mike. We need to, we need to sue RTF. We need to sue RTF. If, if, if she's honest about the, two, two years ago being the mark, she was the one driving the ship. Yeah. She says that the organization lost their way, that it, that it still has it for, for souls, but that it, it, uh, it drifted away from its original intention of informing and preparing Catholics for, uh, you know, to live the faith. Okay, so this is a woman who has made it her personal mission to destroy the SSPX. She will find uh, an SSPX victim hiding under every rock. This is a woman who is absolutely obsessed with any kind of uh, sixth or ninth commandment indiscretion inside of the church, either clerical or non-clerical. She's, um, she's kind of sex obsessed. Um, maybe that's because she wasn't getting any because she thought she was going to uh, and found out that her, uh, her work husband is actually a sodomite. Um, here's the thing. She is the cancer within church militant, at least as much as Michael Voris. And I have former board members who can, who can vouch for that. They say that she's the reason why church militant became this attack dog. It, it, it became vicious. It became about destroying people. And she was at the center of that. In fact, she didn't, she was so busy doing special projects and destroying people that they took her off the news desk. She wasn't running news anymore. She was exclusively full-time dedicated to destroying people, including she spent two years of her life trying to destroy me. So for her to now, literally days before the implosion of church militant, just resign and say, oh, I am taking the moral high ground here and I'm separating myself because things just got out of hand. I, I can't believe that a single person would believe her who, who would actually look at the facts, nor does she even look very believable. But I, why is she? I mean, I mean, I understand why she would try to reinvent herself. This is something that 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 hags do all the time. Um, she's marketing herself now as a copy editor for hire. Copy editing is an extremely low level of skill set for someone who supposedly went to law school. Um, she obviously is trying to get back into church militant and I think she wants to take it over. Definitely, definitely, uh, definitely plausible. Definitely plausible. She, um, it's, it's also pretty interesting that someone who claims to be an investigative reporter, someone very skilled at, you know, finding the dirt on people didn't see the writing on the wall much sooner than just days before the CEO has to get fired by the board of directors. Like she was right. there leading the day-to-day -day operations and a good investigative investigative reporter would have seen this a mile away. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, this goes back to the fact she hired an actual Nazi. That's one of the reasons I call her Nazi Niles. She hired an actual Nazi who had been publicly censured for make for, for producing pornography 
by a fraternity of St. Peter priests in Los Angeles. She personally interviewed him and hired him. Um, okay, you're an investigative reporter. She's hanging out with Simon Raff, who's writing elvish uh, fantasy uh, perverted stuff online. She's advocating for him staying and, and getting him promoted. So here she is hanging out with perverts. I mean, it sounds like the whole the whole freaking place is full of perverts. Now, not reported so far, breaking here on the Crusade Channel, live talk radio the way it should be, is Simon Raff, who was the chief financial officer and chief bulldog of church militant. In fact, it was in his office that the plan to destroy me was hatched. It was in his office. He was part of the decision-making process. He's canned as well. He's gone. He's He's jobless. And um, between the three of them, I think he's going to have the hardest time finding finding productive work. I mean, there's just something wrong with that guy. So she's she's putting out this video, Father Martin, and she's saying that, uh, you know, she, she had this this moral duty to resign. She gave she gave zero day notice. Imagine you resign on a, on a Thursday night and Friday is your last day. And then the church militant doesn't even acknowledge that she's gone. In fact, they start running her reading the news six days later on the website as if it's fresh news, like pretending that she's still there. There's no farewell tweet. There's no announcement of any kind. This is part of why people were like, I think Mike Parrott has lost his mind. She, she appears to still be there. And I'm like, no, no, she's gone. Trust me, she's gone. That, that's just old footage. Just wait for the announcement. Um, for her to suddenly grow a conscience and leave as the, as the place is imploding financially and there's going to be another round of layoffs and, and some of the employees are looking forward to being laid off because then they'll finally get health care while they're on unemployment insurance. Um, it's, it's, it's astonishing. The, 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 the degree to which she will lie and virtue signal and, and feign a moral compass which just frankly does not exist. And if you point it out, this is the point I wanted to get to, and I want to get your reaction on this. If you point that out, you say, Christine has directly destroyed people's lives. She is not a good person. And if you point that out, and you say, I'm glad she's not there anymore. You're like the me big meanie poo-poo head, and you're just so mean and rigid. You trad people are so mean. What about God's forgiveness? And what about <laughs> assuming the best in people and she's repentant? Well, I, I, is she repentant? I don't think she is. Um, so you, I, I know how this is going to go down. For the next month, I'm going to be doing jumping jacks and, and uh, basically pissing on Boris's grave and, and Niles as well. And everyone's going to say that I'm, I'm the mean one. After what they did to you and me, I'm the mean one. All right. Uh, playing victim. I mean, Correct we, the people. We've we've known that they use leftist tactics. I mean, cancel culture, uh, guilt by association, all these other leftist tactics. You know, now they'll be crying victim that, uh, <laughs> in one sense, they'll be crying victim, and but they'll have to admit it that you destroyed them, that that you prevailed, that you won. That's what they'll have right. to admit it if if they if they ever try to put any blame on you. Um, but right. as far as th those of us that are kind of dancing on their grave, so to speak, it's not really dancing on their grave. It's saying what we have been saying about them for years has finally come out into the light. And it is true. We've been, it, it, it was true all along. 
So it's not it's not so much dancing on the grave as much as you know celebrating uh, people's lives in a sense. You know, their unemployment. They have uh, well, at least Niles has children, all that kind of stuff. There's there's no celebration in the fact that now those children are gonna have to suffer the the sins of of their parent. Um, but nevertheless, the fact that we've been calling this for years, and there's been people that have refused to believe us, and we know they 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 built a cult. They built a cult around Michael Voris, which is why even if Church Militia tries to save itself. Whoever they try to replace for CEO, all that kind of stuff, it's not going to work. Church Mills is never going to be the same. Michael Boris no. built, built a cult personality. And yeah, he was, was a, he was a one-man show. He always tried to prop her up, too. He always wanted her to be the heir apparent. She was the ultimate loyalist. The, the people in Ferndale would joke that they are work, work wives and husbands, that they're married to each other. Um, they were inseparable. They were always of one mind. So... Somehow, his uh, moral failings escaped her notice, the investigative journalist. Somehow, um, we're led to believe that she grew a conscience and decided that she couldn't take it anymore. And somehow, we're, we're, supposed to, uh, we're, we're, we're supposed to accept the fact that as much as he pushed her on us, and he put her, in, he put her on news and she would read the news, nobody would watch it. He gave her a podcast, nobody listened to it. He kept trying to replicate himself and he couldn't do it. And you're right. Without Boris, there is no church militant. Boris, uh, church militant is the vortex. The vortex is Boris. No Boris, no vortex. No vortex, no CM. That's it. There's no, there's no, th- this is not a hard thing. I do, I'm skeptical, like you are, that it can even be saved. But if it could, that there could be a redemption for church militant, what do you think that would look like? They would definitely have to make public restitution to those families, husbands, uh, husbands and fathers of families um, that they've attacked, like you, like Jeff Kassman. Um, I think you, you mentioned one earlier about a professor from the University of Dallas. Um, also, priests that they've unjustly accused, like Father Paul Nicholson, and uh, other religious communities. They attacked the Oblates of St. Augustine. They attacked the Carmelites in Wyoming. Uh, I believe even they've they've attacked the silver stream benedictines over in ireland um they would have to make restitution to all these communities who, who they've damaged um, in order in order to regain some sort of credibility they have to recognize their moral failings if they don't recognize their moral failings they, they, they start off where they left except with, with one different uh leading the ship yeah yeah, I think that's what that would have to look like as well. And then I think you would have to get somebody in there. Um, you, you know who came to mind? I, I, I think uh, I think they should probably look to a cleric to take over that place. Um, you know, they could go for they could go for one of these popular sort of podcaster priests like a Mike Schmidt or whoever. Um, they could look to a canceled bishop like Strickland. And say, will you take this place over? I mean, stranger things have happened, and maybe they're already talking to him. And, and there's already a prior existing relationship between Strickland and Church Militant. And Strickland has always wanted Church Militant in Texas anyway. So maybe there, maybe that's the next step. I don't know. Um, another logical step would be to just sell everything and shut it down. Um, they, they're sitting on some real estate. I know the South Building is already for sale. Um, they need to just sell the studio equipment, sell it all. Nobody's watching these people. Like the the video content that they put out, it gets less views than than 
you and I smoking a cigar on a Friday night on StreamYard. Okay, so um, nobody's watching them. That's not bringing in revenue. That's not bringing eyeballs or ad clicks or anything like that. So what's bringing the subscriptions? They got to figure out what's actually bringing the subscriptions. It's probably the written content. So you just collapse back down to the blog that it always was. This is a blog. It's a blog site. Um, But yeah, you got to go up. You got to go back. You got to clean it up. You got to delete all the the garbage and the trash and the hit pieces and the the salacious whatever stuff. And you got to get back to the roots and just accept the fact that, you know, a boring blog about the faith it's not going to get a hundred million clicks a year, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just think, I, I, I think that this, that so many grifters just don't understand that, you know, it's like you're either growing or you're dying. Well, you know, I, I don't know that that's necessarily true. I'm, I'm perfectly happy with the size of RTF. I'm, I'm perfectly happy with the size of the rundown because I, I don't care how many people watch us. I care about how much fun we're having talking about the issues together. Exactly. You know, and, and I and I think I think the other three. I, I know you feel the same way. I think the other two feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not about the clicks. It's not about the money. It's about just saying the truth. And you know, maybe someday we'll die for saying the truth. And that day may come sooner rather than later. But um, my hope is my final thought. And I'll let you. Um, let you react to this father my 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 hope is is that hitting rock bottom and being publicly humiliated will help these people to wake up because i gotta tell you i can't i i personally i would be lying to you all of you if i told you that me hitting rock bottom these last two years was a fruitless exercise I mean, look, the, 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 the tribulation that brought me to my knees made me more prayerful, which made me, uh, made me think about divine providence a whole lot more and, and actually trust in it for the first time in my life. And it was actually, it was a great experience. I look back on it and I'm, and I'm happy. You know, people in the comment sections on, on my video from yesterday, they're like, oh, you're so angry and you're so spiteful and you're so mean and you got to let go. And I mean, Father, you know me. I, I'm a pretty happy guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't I don't think I don't think people who know me would ever accuse me of of being any other way. Now, I get a little passionate sometimes, especially when I talk about usury, sodomy and abortion. I get li- I get I get lit up. But um, but I, I actually I think I'm stronger and better for this, and I hope the same for them. They're going through a tribulation now, both of those two. And heck, what if they both come out on the other side and they are better people for it? Well, God bless them, but you know, sometimes you don't have to return back to your former occupation, former way of life when you become a better person. Oftentimes, um, a conversion is precisely away from that. I mean, St. Francis of Assisi wanted to go fight in the Crusades, a noble cause, um, but he was going to go fight for all the wrong reasons. And he had his conversion moment, you know, and he turned back and became a friar, started his own community. So although they call it an apostle, it's not really an apostle because it's not attached to a bishop, but whatever ministry, you know, church militant ministries, um, it could be a noble cause, but after your point of conversion, um, the the sanctification of your soul 
would uh, come about most likely by a different way. But the, there is a sort of narcissistic draw towards being in front of a camera. And so it kind of shows that they're not completely cured, cured of their, uh, their disease if all they're trying to do is regain their, go through a program to regain their credibility to be back, back in front of the camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll definitely keep talking about it, reporting about it, and I'm sure that there will be further updates. It's been an honor to talk to you, Father Martin Navarro, prior of the uh, Oblates of St. Augustine in Western Missouri. M- uh, what, what, the website is missourimonks.org, correct? What, West, westonmonks.org. Oh, westonmonks.org. I should know this. I hear it every Friday night. I'm sorry. But, uh, westonmonks.org to find out more about Father Martin. His story is incredible conversion from professional guitar player in Nashville uh, to Catholic priest and a uh, member of the rundown and um, and really a, a, a very good friend. I'm honored to call you a friend, so, uh, so thank you so much. Um, well, happy have a happy Thanksgiving, everybody, and uh, find something to be thankful for. I, I don't think you need to guess what I will be thankful for tomorrow as I'm stuffing my face with a smoked turkey from East Texas from Greenberg Farms. And they're not paying me to say this. I just love those turkeys. <laughs> um, I'm going to be thankful for, well, just a little slice of justice in this world. <laughs> Take care. God bless. Thank you for listening. This is Parrot Talk. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. Restoringthefaith.com.